Talking on a turn. That's a paddling. Looking out the window. That's a paddling. Staring at my sandals. That's a paddling. Paddling the school canoe. Oh, you better believe that's a paddling. Welcome to Peak Show, where nothing can possibly go wrong. I'm your host, Ayn Rand School for Toss graduate, Bria Rohde, and I set out to explore when the media and creators you love peaked. Here with me today is Jose, uh-huh, and we're talking about the Simpsons, that's right. How you doing, Jose? I am doing lovely. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm great. We're in the midst of a heat wave, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a great day to be Brie. It's a great day to talk Simpsons with... One of my best Simpson-loving friends. Uh, we've known each other for a very long time, and I think from the very start we both knew that we were Simpsons uh, Simpsons devotees. <laughs> oh, I know for a fact that had something to do with how we first met. Yes. And uh, so you're here because we're rounding out our three-episode-long Super Month on The Simpsons, and... Uh, like I said, I decided to bring in my good buddy, Jose, uh, who is our first ever repeat guest. You probably remember him from the first episode on Malcolm in the Middle, and I have to say everyone loved you on that episode, so that's fantastic. If you're not familiar with Jose, he is a writer, pop culture, and political YouTube video essayist, and uh, yeah, we just decided to bring him back uh, because you know pop culture, you know The Simpsons, and I love talking Simpsons with my buddy. Oh, well... I'm I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to be back. Uh, I'm glad the first episode went over well, and I hope uh, my love of The Simpsons will be evident, and we can make this one memorable too. I I have a feeling it will. Now, Jose, we've already discussed in the first episode in which we had you uh, that you know you felt that your peak as a person was you know present, and I uh, I still agree. I think you are peaking, if not yet to peak. But since you've already, I, I thought this would be fun, since you've already introduced yourself and the peak, uh, your peak on the podcast, maybe you could share about, say, the peak of your year or um, the peak of your current YouTube channel or, say, the peak of what you've done this year. Is there anything that you want to shout out? Hmm. Um, it's, it's a bit hard to say what the peak of this year has been so far. Uh, if we stick to, say, you know, the YouTube channel, uh, probably January was the big year where it all kind of popped off. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of, uh, I feel like it's starting to come up a bit again. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's hard to describe. There's no specific moment or video where I'm like, this was this was the peak. Um, but I, I guess I'm sort of a person when I'm making something, I always feel like the next big thing, that's mm-hmm. going to be the peak. And that gives me a little extra energy to get it, get into it and really uh, make the best thing I can. And, you know, I think that's a really healthy way to be. Um I think in any industry or any activity or whatever, but especially as a content creator, if you're always thinking like this next thing I'm going to do is going to be even better than the last, like um, that's how I've tried to be with this show. And I think it's like, it might be maybe a little corny or a little overly positive, but I just think it's a good way to be. Yeah, I agree. Cause like, you know, in a way you also challenge yourself and you sort of raise your own bar and, you know, sometimes shows don't do that. Like the show we're talking about today feels <laughs> like it stopped trying to be better. Uh, but we'll get to that. Oh, yes. Now, um, we normally open with a deep dive into the topic of The Simpsons. Uh, 
You guys have been hearing this for almost a straight month now, and uh, The Simpsons is also so storied in its history, it would be very difficult at this point for me to tell you about stuff that you didn't know. So I thought it would be great for us to focus on our personal histories with The Simpsons now. Um, Again, you guys know a decent amount about my history with The Simpsons, which is that I was born the year it started, and uh, like all good millennials, I was kind of plopped in front of a TV and let it raise me. And what I will say is uh, the first episodes I remember watching as a kid, I mentioned in the last episode that I remember flaming Moe's because I remember the scene where everyone was just saying Moe and I was like, ha the baby said Moe. The other I remember, I thought it was Homer Loves Flanders, but it was actually Homer the Heretic because I remember Homer Homer driving his car onto the the, um, garbage barge to Garbage Island. And then I do somewhat remember Lisa tripping at Duff Garden. So that's like some of my earliest memories watching The Simpsons. I watched it several times a day. How about you, Jose? I wish I could remember the specific episode I first saw, but I do know it was a specific era because my sister watched it and she's the one who got me into it. And I remember it was definitely the Thursday night era. So one of the earlier seasons. And I remember because I was a kid, it moved over to Sundays and I was very confused. I did not know like TV shows can change days. Like it caught me off guard. Yeah. Um, And and that was where I just sort of tuned in. And uh, I think at my peak watching The Simpsons, I was I was doing about four episodes a day at least. Yeah, for me, I was getting it on our local CTV affiliates, um, twice on our local Fox affiliate and then also on Teletoon when we got Teletoon, which was also the year I got my first t- like TV in my room. So The Simpsons, like, I went to sleep with The Simpsons. Wow. Yeah. I remember they had it on CBC for a while. And yeah. uh, it was also on the Fox affiliate that had it. And there was the, um, God, I don't know what they're called now. Mm-hmm. I know they were Omni for a little bit. They may still be. But they oh. had all the old uh, shows on syndication. And they would show The Simpsons twice a day. So those it's, were yeah. to be like four hookups, basically. It's still called Omni, but I believe Omni doesn't, like, that's not Omni's thing anymore. Omni is now, like, a multicultural network. Um, Oh, it always used to have that, but they used to play sitcoms as well. And I think that's how they sort of boosted their ratings. I remember, like, between six and eight, there'd be, like, a block of four shows. And I'd watch all of them, of course, anchored by The Simpsons. (laughs) And they'd, like, rotate other ones in and out. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned the move to Sunday nights, because Sunday nights... um, I, I do know that obviously Thursday nights occurred when I was a kid because I was, like I said, born shortly before The Simpsons started, but I really only remember it as a Sunday night show. And the Sunday night block became so iconic, and it still is, uh, since uh, we're Canadian. Um, it's actually not on Global anymore, but it's still on Sunday nights. Um, and City, the Rogers-owned uh, conventional network that acquired The Simpsons from Global, they uh, they too kept up with the animation block. And it's because they slowly, like they acquired Bob's Burgers and Family Guy first, and then they acquired The Simpsons. It's like, we have the animation block now. But it was, it The Simpsons was so strong on Sunday nights that it became the launching ground for other shows, including several other shows that I've done on this podcast before, being Malcolm in the Middle and uh, King of the Hill. Um, that And because... For many years during this time, the X-Files was at nine o'clock. Like if you got sandwiched between the Simpsons and the X-Files, like it was gravy for you. Yeah, it was such uh, it was so weird for a network to just own a night like that. 
And it was mm-hmm. a, a big part of that was because when Fox started as a network, um, no one was really doing anything on Saturdays and Sundays. It was like dead time or they just put movies or football or something. So they were the first network to really try original programming on those days. And uh, it didn't work so well on Saturday, but <laughs> Sunday is where they found their first real success uh, with a show like Married with Children. And then, uh, this, and what was that other one with Johnny Depp? I always forget the name of that show. Oh, was that 21 Jump, Jump Street? Street? Yeah. yeah. I didn't. Well, and um, from my years uh, as a media reporter uh, analyzing TV ratings, still no one watches on Saturday nights. And weirdly enough, unless uh, there are a few maybe summer reality shows, but Sunday nights are not because The Simpsons, obviously, its ratings aren't what it used to be. Um, there's not much on Sunday nights that picks up anymore. So, like, it wasn't just that Simpsons was an outlier for, like, for, it wasn't, sorry, it wasn't just that Sunday was an outlier for Fox. It was that, like, the Simpsons were the only thing that could bring people to it, seemingly, to the TV after football was done. So that was pretty neat. Um, and I'll also say that when the Simpsons was in, um, in syndication on weeknights like it was my gateway to a lot of other things like when our fox affiliate would play it at uh you know six and six thirty seven o'clock was seinfeld all of a sudden then you know six-year-old breeze watching seinfeld i think some of the other shows that were on uh sometimes during those blocks were king of the hill reruns which i was obviously addicted to king of the hill uh friends which I never cared for, but I've seen so many episodes of friends because if the simpsons led into it i watched it you know yeah, that's so true. I, a lot of those old sitcoms I watched from uh, 80s and 90s were products of me st- staying on the same channel because the Simpsons were there or even tuning in early because I'd be like, well, it's only 30 minutes, so I might as well watch, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, some random TV show leading into the Simpsons. Yeah. And, um, you know, one thing that I'm surprised hasn't come up in the last two episodes is that the Fox network was a nothing network until The Simpsons. I actually think um, this came up on the episode in which I talked about So You Think You Can Dance because that was Fox's first real successful reality show. But, um, you know, Fox is a juggernaut now. It really was not uh, prior to The Simpsons. And uh, there are so many jokes uh, from The Simpsons about like, oh, you you saved my network. Wouldn't be the first time. And... um, that was part of why uh, The Simpsons was notoriously a show that didn't take notes from the network at all. Um, you know, the network would make all sorts of suggestions and Groening and his crew rarely took it, uh, which was also shockingly why Fox loved Family Guy and in many ways loved working with Seth MacFarlane because he would take their notes. Uh, as edgy, edgelordy as Family Guy was, it didn't defy the network the way uh, The Simpsons did. Like, yeah, I think The Simpsons kind of had an advantage because Fox just wasn't a network until 1986. Mm -hmm. So here comes The Simpsons a few years into it. And that really gave them some pull, some ability to push back because the network needed them a lot more than, well, they needed each other. And uh, The Simpsons was, you know, in some ways, starting with the Tracy Ullman show, which was one of the first scripted shows there as well. Well, was it scripted? Yeah, I think it was scripted. Must have been sketch comedy, of course. It counts as scripted. Um, obviously, it's a different format than like a half-hour comedy. But I've I've never seen the Tracy Ullman show. Have you? Uh, I watched a few clips. Uh, you can see Dan Castellaneta and uh, Julie Kavner in real life appearing uh-huh. on there. So that's kind of neat. You know, um, this has very little to do with the peak of The Simpsons, but I finally found 
the Simpsons character voiced by Dan Castellaneta, who most sounds like real Dan Castellaneta and looks like real Dan Castellaneta. Do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, um, so the lawyer sounds like him a lot, but doesn't really look like him. So I feel like there might be someone else. The big hand guy. I mean, aside from oh, the big hand, right. he looks just like him to the point where I'm like, is he kind of modeled after him? <laughs> well, we have to see his hands now, don't we? Well, one of them. <laughs> That's true. He could just be really good at hiding one. Um, he always has one hand suspiciously in his pocket. <laughs> yeah, well, someone uh, put... Uh, posted in my in response to my tweet alleging this um, his book I am not Homer and he's holding up a hand and his hand does look kind of large so we're on to mm. you Dan <laughs> I think we you just solved this one <laughs> so um, did you have the Simpsons DVDs ever or any of them no it was in such heavy rotation and syndication that I always felt like I don't I would never choose to watch it or make a, an attempt to uh, watch it just out of nowhere so yeah and i'd watched so many episodes so many times that it felt like it would always be there like it would just be in the ether around me so mm -hmm. a dvd didn't seem as necessary so the other thing with dvds is like i feel right now in my in my 30s when physical media is at a premium because we never really think about physical media anymore we don't we don't consume as much of our media physically anymore that is it is now that I really regret not having acquired the DVDs. Um, and the thing with the Simpsons DVDs is they are still quite expensive. Um, I would honestly put out the money to get all of King of the Hill on DVD because those are cheap. Except for the fact that I realize I also don't own a DVD player. Like even my laptop doesn't have a disk drive anymore. Um, but knowing knowing now like how much more i appreciate certain aspects of the simpsons because of insights from the writers and stuff i do wish i had the dvds for the sake of the commentary because there's commentary on every single episode like you didn't that was such a rarity in those days like i think the most popular or most buzzworthy set of dvds from a tv show prior to that was seinfeld and even they didn't have commentary on every single episode yeah it's uh, it provides a lot more context and information for the episodes, and it really um, lets you dive a little deeper into what went into the production for each one. There's another benefit I, I really liked about the DVDs is that now, um, since it's streaming on like Disney Plus, like there is a cost associated with watching The Simpsons, and the presentation yep. isn't the same. Um, in addition to missing the special features, like the visual element isn't quite. It's cropped a bit, so it's like yeah it's they not did, what it was what it could be or should be they did offer an alternate to the resolution but i believe it's still kind of not perfect um and i mean the other thing is which i mean there are a lot of complicated feelings about this but i ultimately have a difficult time with the fact that they um pulled stark raving dad off of disney plus Mainly just because it's like the Simpsons have had other really terrible people on the show. Um, and I thought it was interesting that, you know, it wasn't pulled from syndication when he was first going through criminal trials. It wasn't pulled um, from syndication amidst all Michael Jackson's other questionable public behavior, but it was pulled from syndication after for that one thing. It's like, but you had all out monsters and like 
you know, regularly, I know he doesn't actually do his own voice, but making Rupert Murdoch into this kind of like lovable cartoon, like still evil, but lovably evil cartoon when like Rupert Murdoch is like, if he weren't a billionaire, he would be a criminal, like rotting in jail. Um, so I, I have a bit of an issue, like it's not a judgment on like, Michael Jackson at all. It has nothing to do with my feelings about Michael Jackson. I just found it weird that Star Craving Dad was the one that they chose to pull. And so the DVDs are the only way that you can watch that episode now. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of like pulling episodes like that either. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's totally fair if you want to put sort of a, a notice ahead of time. I like when services of, do that. Yeah. Yeah. Something to just let people know like, hey, there's some elements of this episode that have not aged well. Yes. And I think that's that's good enough. I think it's important to look at TV shows as like historical as well. Like, and yes. I think records need to be complete to do that. Mm -hmm. And if we suddenly put that behind like some obscure product that's no longer in print, it sort of makes me wonder like, well, what are we really doing with these digital services and platforms yeah. that are supposed to make things available forever if yeah. we then start taking things out of that service? You know, you 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 can make the argument for censoring historical things that there are there's risk of imitation or risk of radicalization as a result of it but this isn't mein Kampf. this is an episode of the simpsons that had a controversial guest star yeah, yeah. it's not like we're we're saying you know that episode where homer goes on a, a really horrible anti-semitic ranch at stay yes like this that's a little different uh -huh. um yeah so um, now, when did you stop watching The Simpsons regularly or stop paying attention to new episodes? So it's it's hard to say because there'll always be like an episode randomly bubbling up to the consciousness of like the wider world every now and again, like a guest star or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when I stopped paying attention personally and stopped caring entirely, it would probably be either... See, the thing is, I stopped caring, so I didn't like note it down. But it was like either season 12 or season 13. It was right yeah. around there where it felt like the show was really, really at its low. Like I had seen episodes since then and I'd be like, oh, well, this isn't as bad, but it's it's not yeah. good or not nearly I, what it once was. But that would be the rough region. I had um, I very well could have watched new episodes after this. But for some reason, the era in which and I think these were both in the same season the episode where Lisa is dealing with a female bully named Francine and she uh, figures out that nerds emit certain pheromones. That is one of the last ones I remember watching when it came on, as well as the one where Apu has an affair with a squishy lady. I think those are from the same season, but they are very much from the same era, from the Mike Scully era. Because um, I know that Al Jean came back as the showrunner I want to say in the 12th season, and I don't remember much after that. <laughs> yeah, I do remember hearing about that and thinking like, oh, maybe it'll get the show on track again. But it was nope. the dam <laughs> no, the damage had been done. It was it was over. And now I just uh, in preparation for watching for recording this, I just watched a few episodes from season 21, which was still 10 years ago. Um, but oh God. Um, a few things I noticed, um, which was my com my exact complaint with the era of the show when I stopped watching. So this is why I'm like, I doubt it's actually gotten back to form. Everything is so on the nose. 
like so on the nose. Um, there's the um, an episode where Mr. Burns goes to jail. And there's an episode where Homer, Carl, and Lenny are breaking into Burns' wine cellar. And they go, oh, what's the worst that could happen? And they pass a skeleton labeled trespasser, which is fine. But they stop and linger on it. And they stop and stare at it and do a little hmm and move on. And I feel like just a better episode, even in season five or six, would have passed that skeleton labeled trespasser and not say anything. Or even have like a few more skeletons like... Yeah. door-to-door salesman or like <laughs> girl scout cookie seller or something <laughs> oh, mr burns child killer um, <laughs> and then the next episode there is a joke from uh superintendent chalmers about like marge you've, you've tried everything on bart ritalin adderall and lithium but now it hasn't worked and he's turned to drugs and i'm like i guess that's fine but it's so obvious and i really can't stand obvious jokes that have very long setups toward an obvious punchline like i don't know maybe i'm a bit of a humor snob that way but it's just like i could see when you start listing off three behavioral altering drugs and then say then he like i know that the punchline is going to be and now he's doing drugs yeah i know what you mean it's it's just i feel that way about a lot of stuff with recent Simpsons things. I saw a clip recently of um, with Conan O'Brien ending his show. They did a little one and a half minute thing of Homer interviewing him. And it's like, it wasn't terrible. It just kind of was like, he would talk to Conan, make a few like jokes, kind of obvious jokes Mm -hmm. delivered well enough. And you're just sitting there going like, okay, well, this is fine. It's not really clever, insightful or doing anything interesting. It's just uh, a delivery system for some cheap jokes. So I'll, I'll get to slightly more elaborate, my slightly more elaborate thoughts on this. But the last thing I noted in the last season 21 episode I watched was it was an episode that started out about the Simpsons getting um, getting uh, wind wind generating power uh, on their property and, you know, discovering the follies that come with that. But it, I'm thinking like, OK, 10 years ago, that was when everyone was talking about wind power. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure in every jurisdiction it was a controversial thing, but it's like. When did we get to the point where the Simpsons writers said, like, we need to have an episode about wind power? Like, I just feel like the Simpsons started developing this need to constantly be current and be talking about the topic du jour. And I don't remember that being a strong compulsion, even as late as season eight or nine. Yeah, it almost feels like they are running on empty, like they can't think of situations for the Simpsons that aren't related to some sort of topical issue. Yeah. Now that said, um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about observational humor with The Simpsons. Um, in my first uh, recording of this topic with uh, Ted Raymond, I mentioned that the sort of early thesis of The Simpsons was what if a schmaltzy old sitcom from the 60s was written by smart people? And uh, the beginning of stages of The Simpsons, including seasons two and three, were really filled with a lot more playing into pop culture observations than later episodes. So a good example is Lionel Hutz, um, who uh, I've mentioned before is one of my favorite characters. The first episode in which Hutz is introduced is season two, Bart gets hit by a car. And his first characterization was sleazy personal injury lawyer and basically a vehicle for jokes about lawyers. But it wasn't long after that, like three seasons later, he would be a babysitter for The Simpsons, glad to get $8 for babysitting for a whole night, changing his identity twice, rummaging through their garbage. So like the jokes about Hutz became he's a mess of a human which worked because it played into Phil Hartman's talent as a voice actor, but it gave them opportunities to take trips to Wacky Town with Huts because, like it or not, by a certain point, you have told every sleazy lawyer joke. 
So I actually like that they kind of flanderized Lionel Hutz a little bit. He wasn't he wasn't just a vehicle for lawyer jokes anymore. I think it was even more sophisticated than that, though, because the changes to Lionel Hutz, they reflected not just like, because if we talk about flanderization, I feel like it would be more about him being a lawyer and they would just been like more lawyer-esque jokes. But instead, they went in a direction where they revealed that this guy is a con man, which like yeah. lawyer to con man isn't a huge jump. And they just sort of grew and expanded with that. Like he's on to the next con. Now he's like selling real estate. This is just Lionel Hutz doing whatever he's got to do to make a buck. I think the creators had said that if Hartman had not died when he did, that would have kind of been the direction Hutz went in was like, I, I guess they got sick of Hutz lawyer jokes. And so it's like, he's a real estate agent now. And maybe next he's, you know, opening a business or whatever. Like, um, it would have been great to see how that went. True. Though I don't know if uh, even the power of Lionel Hutz could have turned around those later seasons. That's or I guess true. They're not even later seasons now. Isn't that wild no. to think about? It's like that's like, still technically early Simpsons. The first third of the Simpsons is generally what everyone's watched. Um, yeah. So another great example of like observational humor that evolved into something else was, um, in my opinion, two very underrated characters who are Patty and Selma. Um, originally, the jokes with Patty and Selma were spinster jokes and just they were the mean in-laws occasional bit of like, oh, they have more freedom and disposable income than Marge because they don't have children. And later the jokes became that they're weird and disgusting, like eating tongue sandwiches and all the grossness you witness uh, in Selma when she marries Troy McClure. Um, and, and of course, Troy McClure is, uh, is a great character that started off about like observations about washed up celebrities and um, took on a life of its own. Oh, yes. We've heard many stories about him and the aquarium. Yes, um, which that's another thing that I so like that you missed when Phil Hartman died was the set piece of the 1950s style educational videos. Yeah, with Timmy. <laughs> I was, Bill, Billy, I was trying to um, compile the list of some of my like favorites, um, my, some of my favorites, Troy McClure uh, episode titles. And the ones that always stick with me are, Mommy, what's wrong with that man's face? And dig your own grave and save. Those are good. I, I've always been partial to Christmas Ape. And Christmas <laughs> Ape goes to summer camp. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, I, I'm curious about, like, certain characters for you. Like, because someone's characterization can hit a really good place and then very quickly be taken too far. So do you have any examples of like character evolutions that you liked or liked up to a certain point? God, I, I hate to be a cliche, but uh, Flanders is probably one of the best examples. Uh, I, I always loved how wacky he was and he was like, he was so wholesome good. Mm -hmm. And just that sort of religious element became the only thing about him at one point, which was really unfortunate. Because, like, that was not his defining feature. It's like, yes, yeah. he's religious, but, you know, he's a committed father, cares about his wife. I, I think, for me, the problem wasn't when Flanders became too religious. It was that, like, his religion used to make him into an overly forgiving wimp. And then it started, there came a certain time, probably around season 11 or maybe 12, that it started to instead make him into um, a judgmental ass. And... It, he went the other way from being and like i prefer wimpy flanders i love especially the wimpy flanders in um the listen lady episode which i always forget the name of that one so i just call it the listen lady mr sparkle episode um in marge we trust that's like my favorite version of flanders 
Yeah, I feel like that's that was like the last great moment for for Flanders on the show where he just gets <laughs> the teens are all racing around him with their mini bikes. And... <laughs> they are on their mini bikes. Um, how do you feel about the killing of Maud? Uh, I mean, again, it happened during that period of the show where it was already bad. So I didn't. I, I it's hard to say like this was a, a bad part of a bad season. It's like well, it was all bad. Yeah. And I'm not sure she would have changed it one way or the other. Um, I'm sure Maggie Rosal would have liked to continue getting paid. Um, so that's. I mean, the whole reason they killed off Maude was because of a pay dispute with Maggie Roswell to begin with, which is really shitty. Yeah. yeah. One of the rare characters who's voiced by one person or one actor who handles one character. Yeah. I mean, she did do Helen Lovejoy, but like no one misses Helen Lovejoy. I mean, she's a one line character. Yeah. Um, you could easily just loop that, won't somebody please think of the children? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, another oh, character, though, um, that really bugged me was Mo and his change mm. over the years. How he became from this sort of skeezy bar hand to, like, really suicide. sad and depressing. Yeah. yeah, the suicide stuff was just like, do we really need to do this? Like, it's not funny and it doesn't really fit Mo. Like, he sort of yeah. is aware of his dank life and is okay with it. I've said before um, in both the first episode of the Simpsons series, as well as um, when I was a guest on the Room My Life podcast, man, season one Mo is so different because he's like Homer's sage barkeep friend who dispenses alcohol and advice. Um, and he's so different from even like season three Mo. But I, I do feel like the Mo inflaming Moe's is like the Mo where it should have stayed. Like he's a little pathetic and he's... Um, a little disgusting but he's not like i i don't know i feel like being being in a position where you've got a question like how does mose manage to stay open um but not like why would anyone why would even the regulars enter this place maybe you don't want to be in a position where that's what you're asking yeah or yeah. asking like how does mo wake up every morning like mm -hmm. i don't want to think about that yeah it's it's not a show that I think can handle those jokes, even when they're jokes. I, I just think that's a lot of baggage to bring in. And that, those are very dark jokes. And I do like I mean, I spoke a lot in the last episode about the Simpsons need to kind of out edge Family Guy uh, when Family Guy came along, um, as well as South Park. And I think sometimes like the that really cruel humor that a lot of it went toward mo like i do think it came from the shows that it was competing with at the time like because the simpsons i don't want to say it's never been a mean-spirited show but it certainly got a lot more mean-spirited uh, in the scully years yeah there was still this emotional core to the simpsons in those early years that was really it helped carry you through some of those dark moments like thinking of uh like an, a darker episode like when homer nearly cheats on marge with mindy like, oh, I just watched that one the other night. That was a really great episode. And it was like, that's like scary. That would have ended their marriage probably. Yeah. And, it's, and the fact that it's like, oh, Homer does the right thing. He realizes he still loves Marge. I feel like that sort of like sentiment didn't really carry over to those later seasons. No. You know, I was thinking of like, I, I'm sure there were other sitcoms that handled this trope, but like the... um. I thought Dan Castellaneta's line reading of like um, him being so upset because he knows there's an attraction there and like, we're going to have sex. Well, we don't have to. And like, 
he just he knows that they're into each other and he's like well maybe i do want to but then i think of marge and the kids i'm like oh like this is actually like i i mean i'm not saying the simpsons became a drama in that but it was actually a very rare like human story for the simpsons to tell because i think that is a thing and this is going to make me sound bad because i am the one among us who is married but like it when you here's the thing when you get married you don't just stop being attracted to other people and so every interaction with someone that you are attracted to is just a game of like is this person worth ruining my marriage for and the answer 99.99 percent of the time if you have a healthy marriage is no um and I, i i think that's actually like a very a really cool thing that they did an episode about that because there i mean there weren't a ton of super wacky episodes uh at that point but uh well, I mean, the fish did sing Homer Loves Mindy, so it was pretty wacky, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that brings me to another topic I want to bring up, which is Marge. And I love Marge. But early in the series, I feel like there are two Marges that they kind of alternate between as they're figuring her out. Uh, they don't always play with each other very well. One is a mom who's maybe a bit naive and like ultimately a killjoy who isn't a huge fan of the real world. Like she has her convictions. She's easily duped, uh, like how she falls for Jacques so easily and she gets caught up in itchy and scratchy and Marge. But then the other Marge is a Marge who is basically the personification of potential unfulfilled, uh, like brush with greatness or the way we was, which really uh, displayed that in detail. Um, There are a lot of great little episodes about how talented Marge is as a painter and, how she has a lot of loneliness and a lot of abandoned hopes. And when these two Marges do for a brief few seasons work together, they're really, really great. I think Marge is an underrated character when she's written well. So like the one episode I can think of where you see both of that is scenes from the class struggle in Springfield. Um, You've got some great whole family humor in there, but it, it really is a Marge episode and there's not a lot of those. Yeah, I, I think Marge is definitely underrated um for a lot of the reasons you just described because uh it's really hard i think for a lot of the writers to even grasp marge because i mean the simpsons was a very male dominated writing space right Mm -hmm. um and even uh looking at a few interviews some of the writers have had um they would just like I remember uh someone telling a story where they had like people come in and like document what it was like writing the simpsons and it was just uh, them sitting in the writer's room and everyone was standing around going like, okay, what does Marge say in this scene? Mm-hmm. And they would just be like, hmm, for like 15 minutes. And they were thinking like how boring it is for like the interviewers to come to watch this. And I'm there thinking like, how hard is it for you guys to write Marge if you're sitting there for 15 minutes trying to come up with a single line? Yeah. And uh, I mean, John Schwarzwalder, uh, a, a wonderful writer, was notorious for just like just plum forgetting about Marge. Like, and I think really like, and as well as Lisa. Um, Lisa's a slightly different character, uh, and unlike Marge, Lisa as a character basically became the vehicle to be like the butt of the joke a lot, which I did not like. But I, I discussed that enough in my last episode. Um, uh, but yeah, so after after kind of the peak of Marge she did devolve back into like i love housework and it's a joke how much she likes housework and like now it's pardon me now it's march's time to shine and i'm like okay like it i mean the again the episode i just watched where bart was getting into trading cards and marge thought it was drugs like 
all she does in that episode is like be a, a kind of meddling mom and like she doesn't get her own adventures and like you'd think in the years that the show has evolved there would be a bit better characterization to marge you'd think that but it feels <laughs> as though they only had marge right for a few seasons and then it all fell apart yes and i i i don't know part of me thinks that a part of the reason marge fell out of uh that sort of focal point is because she's at like as a character there isn't a lot for her to do she didn't have like a cast of friends she didn't she have, have a, a place to yeah a place to go every day so like certain episodes were just like marge gets a job which i mean i guess they can do that they did like homer gets a new job every other week oh god yeah this is a this is another kind of weird roundabout note i have but i am super curious to hear your thoughts on this so um one of the things that i learned from listening uh, or seeing listening to other people's accounts of the commentaries because again i've never heard one of the dvd commentaries but apparently the writers really stopped writing itchy and scratchy bits and that's because they found them very hard to write for very little payoff and, and i mean i kind of Part of me agrees that there's very little payoff, but because I was a kid watching those itchy and scratchy bits, I actually thought there was a lot of payoff because I thought they were awesome. Um, but so Bart and Lisa no longer really watch itchy and scratchy. And in fact, again, in the Wind Power episode I just watched, um, it's which, first of all, the Simpsons do not have their classic pink fat TV anymore. They had a flat screen and oh, they were weird. playing. Yeah. And they were playing like a knockoff version of a Wii. Um, but that was what, you know, the... Um, what the wind power turning off affected. It wasn't them watching cartoons and watching Krusty. It was them playing Wii Tennis. Um, but yeah, so they no longer watch Itchy and Scratchy. And that kind of makes sense because in today's world, the act of sitting around and watching your afternoon cartoon is not a thing modern children do. Like I have a five-year-old nephew and if he wants to watch something, he like puts on YouTube or whatever, but he doesn't sit and wait for his cartoon to come on. Um, so that kind of made me think, because The Simpsons went on so long, but most of the people who grew up with the show are like you and me, you know, millennials born in the mid 80s to early 90s. We don't identify with the show much anymore. We're not kids watching cartoons. We're not parents of the kids watching cartoons. And there's no one there's no one depicted on the show that is our age and our station in life. Um, and I think in order to kind of pander to that age group, you had to do things like the episode that 90s show, which no one liked. So should The Simpsons have stayed as a show about the 90s? Like, I actually kind of think it should have. I don't think The Simpsons should have aged with time. Because, um, yeah, I think the first indication that The Simpsons was really trying too hard to be current, like the early 2000s, Kill the Alligator and Run, that episode with Kid Rock, like... I don't know. I think I feel like a lot of the Simpsons charm would have been restored or at least maintained a little bit longer if they just kind of pretended it's still 1994 or whatever in this universe. Yeah, I agree. Uh, although part of the Simpsons charm was that it was like a show, a family from like the 1950s or 60s in the 90s. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the further away you get from being in the actual 90s, the more it becomes people's memory of what the 90s were. And suddenly you have this reinterpretation of what it is. And I feel like with episodes like that 90s show, um, we get a glimpse of what these writers would write like for the 90s. Yeah. Um, maybe it's one of those things like where you just had to be there or you really should do your research before writing about it. Uh, but it would, I think, in some ways, uh, 
exaggerated the whole show, exaggerated the entire aesthetic. Um, and certainly that definitely could have been better than what we got. Uh, again, the bar was very low. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there was or would be a way to save The Simpsons, to be honest. I've always been a very firm believer that the show should have just ended. Like it yeah. had its moment in time and that moment has passed. Mm hmm. Um, and I, uh, I should mention, cause I did, uh, I did say this on the last episode with Jason, but that I hate the episode that 90s show, but not because it retcons when Homer and Marge met because like the Simpsons has been retcon city, even when it was good. Um, I hate that 90s show cause I think it's not funny. And I thought the, the dumbest part was that Homer's band was called Sadgasm. Like, and, and cause to me that, that just reminds me of the kind of like joke my brother would have made when he was 12 about like, it's funny because I add gasm onto it. Like, that's not a parody of anything. That's just like 12 year old writing crap. Um, it's also weird that a lot of people are still mad about that 90s show though. And it's like, that show was like 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I, though I think you hit it right on the head when you said like, it wasn't funny. Like that's yeah. the most damning criticism for any comedy. If it's not funny, mm -hmm. then like, well, who cares about the rest of it? It's mm -hmm. not funny. Fix that yeah. part first. So as we're as we're barreling toward our Simpsons peak, uh, there's one last thing. And this is kind of this has been part of what helped me figure out, like, when would I have ended the show? And I think there are certain things you have to look at and say, like, oh, this is the last. Like a good example of what should have been a last kind of episode was Brother from Another Series should have been the last Sideshow Bob episode because um, it, it was a natural conclusion. It still fit with the Simpsons law of everything must reset because Bob went back to jail, but Sideshow Bob is good now. And the fact that they brought him back a few times, like they lasted, I think, five years, but they did eventually bring him back and he wasn't good anymore. And I do know that Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein, they did a lot of things that changed the canon on purpose because they thought the show was going to end. So, you know, they had, um, they, they had a few things like uh certain actually i can't think of anything apu. i can't think of anything of it oh yeah apu apu getting married um I, I think that was a mike scully thing but it was around the same time well having kids um, as well yeah um now i was thinking of sideshow bob and then i was thinking of another big uh another big canon breaking episode that uh we will get to later but um yeah, like they just they couldn't help themselves. So likewise, after Hartman died, like I am glad they retired the character of Troy and Hutz, but um, I think they were trying to find their replacement, like not as a not as a direct analog. Like they never tried to find a new Susie lawyer, but they tried to find a new side character who would show up every now and then as like a vehicle to Wacky Town. Uh, for the most part, I think that was Gil. Like Gil really only came about. I think maybe shortly before the last appearance of Hutz, but it was around then. Um, I like Gil, but he just didn't work for me because I feel like I've, uh, you know, to, to quote my hero, Taylor Swift, I think I've seen this film before. Yeah, his he was a very one note character and all his appearances mm -hmm. were basically that note over and mm -hmm. over again. And new circumstances really didn't change that enough to make it worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And again, like when you lose huts, you lose the court scenes. So because uh, some of the best uh, episodes of The Simpsons were ones that devolved into court because you had who I think is somewhat of an underrated funny character because he's not Phil Hartman. But blue haired lawyer is a great character because he's a great like <laughs> he parades as a competent lawyer, even though he's not that competent a lawyer. He just knows how to cut like 
he just, ha- I guess, has notoriously stupid people on the stand. Um, but yeah, like it's it's kind of weird to say The Simpsons should have ended after this occasional guest actor died. But it does feel more and more like after that happened, coincidentally, there was a natural conclusion of a lot of other threads on the show. Yeah, a lot of people like left the show and it, a lot of the just storylines became tired and it felt like it just stopped being funny. Like, I, I, what is there to say? It started to feel like a chore to watch The Simpsons. It did. And and it doesn't hold my attention because, like, The Simpsons used to really be known as, like, a joke-a-minute show. Um, not in the first season. Like, the first season is so... I, I have a soft spot for the first season, to be honest, but it is very slow-paced. Uh, but once you get into the second, third, fourth, like, it's so, like... I make fun of how Harvardy the show is, but you can really tell the intellect of the writers with how quickly um, there and how seamlessly the jokes flow. It's like there are so many jokes and so many bits, and then you look in the background and there's a sign gag. Like it is a, it was a densely packed humorous show, and it worked. Like you can yeah. write a million jokes, but if only like ten of them are funny, who really cares? But with The Simpsons, it was such a high success rate. And it just felt like everything was clicking. It all worked. Now, Jose, I have uh, I got here one, two, three, four, five, six episodes from the first ten seasons that the writers themselves, as well as some of the fans, have called um, ha- like believed to be somewhat controversially. The writers don't like them. Fans don't like them. And I'm curious about your opinion on some of these. Sh- uh, some of these episodes. So the first one is Simpson Califragilistic Expialidocious or the Sherry Bobbins episode. Yeah. So like, why is this one controversial? Uh, I believe the the writers didn't like it as much because it was too reality bending. Okay. I mean, I guess it was a musical episode, which I feel like yeah. gives you license to bend reality. Like they're so good at musical episodes too. They're, the music in The Simpsons is amazing. Yeah, it, it gives them a real chance to highlight that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's just sort of a, a consideration of the genre, really. And if you're going to parody a musical, then like go all in. Don't make it grounded mm-hmm. in reality. Make them break into song at like random times and introduce some some off the wall elements. I find it weird when people complain about um, reality bending when it's like it's a fucking cartoon. Like, and it's not even King of the Hill, which was a cartoon that many believe could have very well been an a there was no specific need for it to be a cartoon i should say um whereas the simpsons has always been a cartoony cartoon um so the next one deep space homer okay so uh, again what is the controversy on this one um that it was no longer grounded in reality it was no longer ground like it was a Homer gets a job episode um you know why is Homer going into space it's it's not what I think it just strayed too far from the original show um I think that was a Dave Merkin episode and Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein said like they thought it was a terrible thing for the show to do the thing is though I think the show did it in a way that was incredibly clever because when they linked it to things happening on television and they like highlighted like the slobs on TV like you know <laughs> uh, the Simpsons no yeah <laughs> whoosh uh <laughs> Uh, but like the Simpsons were on TV, like that. Yeah, that's kind of that's what makes it clever and it makes it work. Like mm-hmm. if it had just been Homer's going to space, it's like yeah, you might have a point. Homer shouldn't go to space. But the fact that it was connected to like 
what people want to see on TV. They want to see more of the or the changing face of heroes on television. They weren't these mm-hmm. like exceptional guys who could do anything. They were just sort of your average slobs. And it was that clash between, you know, the vision of the astronaut being the pinnacle of like a person in society compared to sort of the new heroes, um, your average Joe you could see down the street. Second comes right after first. Um, <laughs> I actually, like when I see because of that episode, I'm a I'm a I really love James Taylor uh, because I'm a 60 year old man secretly. Um and whenever I hear fire and rain, I do change the lyrics in my head. Sweet dreams and flying machines flying <laughs> safely through the air. Um, but um, yeah, like I think there are some episodes, and especially later seasons would become this. Like I said, you know, the what if we do a, a wind power episode uh, in which it's an excuse for a series of sketches about a subject. And so you could say that Deep Space Homer was like an excuse for a series of sketchy jokes about space and astronaut training, because like the astronaut training montage in that was probably the best part of that episode. The thing is, I have no problem with an excuse for a series of sketches if they work. Yeah, within the context of an episode. And you can tell yeah. when... And they're like, funny. Yeah. And you can tell when an episode is designed uh, around its premise and not just built to get to those jokes. Yeah. So this one, I was shocked when I found out that the creators, uh, many many of the showrunners after did not like this one. Homer's Barbershop Quartet. Yeah, I, I don't know why people wouldn't like that one. I felt like that was such a cute little episode, uh, a bit of Homer history that we don't usually get. And I think it was the Homer history aspect that really bothered them because it's like, Homer, Apu, Homer and Barney were already friends, but it's like they have this rich history together and no one like no one has mentioned it. Like they they sometimes act like strangers to each other. Um, they. Um, y- yeah. And, and the other thing is like Homer has full on won a Grammy and like no one's mentioned it. I don't know. I just think like. I mean, Ted on our first Simpsons episode did point out it was an excuse for them to make Beatles jokes. But again, like with Deep Space Homer, yeah, it was an excuse to make jokes about a certain subject, but the jokes were funny. Yeah, so that kind of gives you some license. Also, mm. continuity in the show has never been its strongest suit, and it never will be for a long-running series. It's always, there's yeah. always going to be something that falls apart, and especially with uh, an animated show, it's like they're not bound by the appearance of certain actors or, saw, mm. or people growing or anything like that. So yeah. you're going to create... Like, how many times has Homer been hit on the head? It's like that one <laughs> joke from, like, season nine where they showed a clip montage of him getting hurt, and he just laughs and goes, what a week. <laughs> okay, so this one, I actually fully understand why the creators thought it was uh, a pain in the ass, but a star is Burns. Oh, God. Which one was that again? The film, fe- film festival. Oh, right, of course. <laughs> so that the, I get. The writers resented having to do a critic crossover. I totally understand that. Um, I like A Star is Burns. I don't love it. But to me, it's one of those episodes that I regard more as a series of sketches. I don't watch it for the plot. I watch it for the funny movies, uh, the kind of meme ability of it, uh, the football in the groin. Like, it is kind of an episode that doesn't know what it wants to be. Like first it's about Springfield pride in a film festival. And then it's about Homer being insecure about his intelligence. And it's just, to me, I'm like, it's very transparently a series of sketches loosely tied together with a kind of half plot, but I don't think it's a bad episode. Yeah. I, I mostly agree with that. I can see an argument saying that it's not as like tightly, 
uh, scripted as other Simpsons episode and didn't come together the way a more complete one would. Um, maybe I'm a little more partial because I was also watching The Critic at the time. Um, although I went through that. I've never seen that. an episode. <laughs> it, it doesn't really hold up, to be honest. I think <laughs> the best episode of The Critic is that episode of The Simpsons The Critic was on. Um, ah. And it's just kind of, it's kind of weird that there was, there was a crossover and he's like suddenly drawn in the Simpsons style because like <laughs> the show itself, he's got like pink skin. I think he had five fingers yeah. and it was, it's a very different show. And uh, I was just yeah. excited to see Jay Sherman. And uh, I, I don't even know if the critic had been canceled by the time that episode finally came out, but it was pretty close. It only ran for like two or three seasons. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you know this about me, if I've ever brought up because like i'm not a very talented person like i sing a little i dance a little but um my nickname in high school was eudora welty and i'm sure you can understand the reason why um for one of my more controversial talents um i won't do it i won't do it into the microphone but someday if, if we're ever outside and you want you want a good show <laughs> sure i i will of course ask <laughs> coming eudora um so this one i don't think it was as controversial with the creators but i was surprised that at the time this came out this did not get very good reviews homer's enemy yeah i mean that was one that kind of like in my mind we all think of grimy right we all love grimy but <laughs> at the t i can see at the time it did feel different like this wasn't the usual simpsons episode there's a really great breakdown of it on the Talking Simpsons podcast. I love when people say like, oh, The Simpsons is just a cartoon. It was not meant to be analyzed. Again, I repeat, this is like written by Harvard geeks. I'm pretty sure it can be very well analyzed. Uh, that the Frank Grimes episode is a really interesting episode if you watch it from the perspective of Frank Grimes is a normal person who has descended into the Simpsons world and does not understand why people like it. And his breakdown is basically his breaking down of him, like kind of trying to become the main character. It's like Homer is the main character in the universe of the Simpsons. And this person just doesn't understand why. Cause there's, there's a, if a real person met Homer, like, he would think he was a terrible person. And so like, it's basically him being driven insane by the universe of the show. Um, that's, it's, it's admittedly a weird interpretation, but I love Homer's Enemy. I also think, A, it should have been the finale of season eight because I think the actual finale of it is really boring, uh, The Secret War of Lisa Simpson. And B, I think the show could have slash should have ended after Homer's Enemy. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the final frontier you know breaking the fourth wall and letting someone else in and homer be... pretty much causes a guy to kill himself <laughs> i know and it was uh falls asleep I... at his funeral <laughs> yeah it was a dark episode they're like that's our homer <laughs> um so finally the last controversial episode i love your opinion on and like i said there was a contentious canon breaking episode that i really wanted your opinion on which is the principal and the pauper yeah we're getting into the era of the simpsons where started to get bad uh and this is an episode that i think very much when a lot of people say this is where it started to turn i don't know if this is the, i would choose a different episode if i were to say where it started to turn uh mm -hmm. but like this is an example of one where it's like oh uh it didn't really have the humor and it was very offbeat and strange and it it was a little too self-aware and i think you can sort of tell when the writers are not they don't feel strong or confident with their premise they start making these more uh self-aware episodes we saw the mm -hmm. same thing with um 
the critic episode where there was yeah. jokes about that of course i smell another cartoon crossover yeah i didn't like when the simpsons got too meta um that said i actually think the principal and the pauper is an okay episode um i i think skinner's a hilarious character depending on who writes him uh like i just love like i've got it going on and like the fresh batch of america balls my my theory is skinner likes dog food um i don't think it's a bad episode i also think that I think you're right in that it's not when it starts to go downhill, but I think it's symptomatic of certain things. And it's like, I almost figure, like, I almost wonder if their thinking was at that point, um, what do we have to lose? Like, we've already flipped the can, we've already fucked with the cannon so much. We've sent Homer into space. We've given Homer a Grammy. Like, um, you know, we've had a musical uh, Mary Poppins type character why not say Skinner is uh, an imposter? And actually, when is no one going to call it the fact that Mad Men entirely ripped off the premise of the principal and the pauper? <laughs> well, I'm sure someone will at one point. I mean, Simpsons ripped off the opening of Mad Men. So maybe they're even. <laughs> I just wanted to add something. Um, yes. Speaking of like episodes where uh, where it all went wrong, I think when you mentioned the principal of the popper was like it was a good episode it's like i i can see that compared to later ones it was definitely better than what came in the next few years and yeah. i think in many ways that's part of the problem so like where i think the series really started to turn god I, i'm trying to remember the name of the episode it's when where the simpsons go to japan um oh 30 minutes over tokyo there you go yeah and that was the thing is like that was a good episode like it made me laugh there were a lot of funny bits uh not a great episode obviously that's well behind yeah. there but it was the fact that it was successful i think it sent the wrong message to the team they're like well maybe we will start putting the simpsons in these random situations where it's just a series of sketches and mm -hmm. like the principal of the popper is the same deal the fact that you could say like well it didn't succeed as well but it still got some laughs and it just yeah. reinforced this uh negative tendency in the show to create these weird or these very weak premises that are just uh you know, a thin window dressing for a series of gags. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny because in a past episode, in our episode on King of the Hill, um, myself and friend of the show, Mike Stevens, we were discussing how it's crazy how different two series handled their Japan episodes. Like, because I thought that the Japan episodes of King of the Hill were the best, like the peak of that series. Um even though it featured a lot of, I'll say, stereotypes about Japan, like, you know, you have to have a bullet train scene, you have to have a vending machine scene. Um, it was done in a very tasteful way and more observational than exploitative. Whereas The Simpsons is full on like we are having Mothra and Rodan fighting um, uh, or we're having uh, Homer buy a square watermelon and walking through the uh, walking through the doors. Um, I think, yeah, it was a very... The, the humor was very exploitative and I, I have no I have no problem with offensive humor, but man, that is a cartoony episode. And I don't know, like they, their one big travel episode before that was the Australia episode, which was so good. And it's like, how did you get this one so wrong? I think it's a lot in the premise as well, because the Australia one, they had like a very strange way of getting Bart there. And it was like, mm -hmm. in some ways, part of the joke was like, we don't understand Australia and look at how silly mm -hmm. we are. Um, yeah. And then compared to like King of the Hill, it was like an extraordinary circumstance again to get Hank to go there because like he might have a half brother. Like that's <laughs> huge. 
Uh, so they will go to Japan for that. Well, they didn't know about the brother. They was like Cotton's ex, yeah. but it was like, you know, good thing, yes. good fodder for a two-parter. Yeah. And I really, um... oh, lost the thought. Anyway, so we'll go on to the lightning round. Okay. Uh, so what is your is favorite Lisa episode? <laughs> oh, I should. Oh, and I, for... actually that's making me think the Japan episode had a literal lightning round. And they got hit by lightning. Yes. Uh, you should have like, Your music, favorite like le- the quiz. I should. I've been trying to incorporate more like fun music and jingles and stuff. So what is your favorite Lisa episode? Okay. I'm, I'll be a little controversial and go for a later one later mm-hmm. in, you know, the first third. Uh, mm-hmm. Lisa the vegetarian. Uh, ah. I really like that because it has Lisa fighting against society which i always feel like is lisa at her best when she's just like you know what screw everyone and i know a lot of people don't like that about lisa but personally i always thought that was really cool that she has like a personal ethos that she follows well that's a great episode because even though lisa's being a little pushy about her convictions and you know she is a little bit wrong um and I say this as a vegan, so like, Lisa, I don't think you're morally wrong. You know, I support you. But um, I think that episode is good because in a later episode, they would have taken the opportunity to rag on Lisa for caring. We talked about this a lot uh, in the episode with Jason where like, Lisa's lame for caring. And I thought that episode like was done where Lisa, you know, even she said, I was wrong. Ah two oh like <laughs> so what is your favorite homer oh wait so i should say i guess my my favorite lisa episode which will come as a surprise to no one is summer of four foot two um i feel like that's the quintessential lisa episode oh yeah that that is the quintessential i grew up a lonely lower middle class kid whose family didn't get her kind of episode <laughs> um so what is your favorite homer episode which i really i totally realize there's a lot of these it, this was so hard to choose. I literally just went with the first one that came to mind, uh, and mm-hmm. that's Homer at the Bat. Uh, oh, that's a good a, one. I mean, as a kid, I loved baseball. Um, kind of grew out of that. So it was cool seeing Homer play baseball with all these baseball players I knew. Um, and just it was it was still a Homer story, and it showed how they could bring in guest stars in like a silly but somehow believable way, and they didn't yeah. overshadow Homer. Even like... Daryl Strawberry and his rivalry with Homer. It's not like it became, <laughs> we have to have a bunch of scenes with Daryl Strawberry. It's like, no, no, this is still very much about Homer. And they enhance the experience instead of taking over the, the episode. The scene with him and Daryl Strawberry, like, well, are you better than me? Well, I don't know you, but yes. Like, that is a <laughs> great scene. Um, my favorite Homer episode is not actually, I, I think, one that someone would identify as a Homer episode, but and Maggie makes three. I think that's a great episode. It's just like Homer is adorable in that episode. Him being so happy being a pin monkey and um, the way he freaked out over um, Marge being pregnant a third time is hilarious. But it also like I kind of didn't think about this until I was writing it down. That was a little bit how my dad was when because I'm, I'm the youngest of three. And my dad definitely wanted to stop after two kids. And I'm sure the the only thing is I don't know if my dad tore his hair out, but I do know that he started losing his hair after I was born. <laughs> but um, it, it in the end, my dad and I actually had an incredibly sweet relationship. Like he was always the one to like 
he took me out to the swamp once to help me get things for a science project. And like, you know, he loved on Sundays taking me out on errands because he liked to take the long route home and like have quiet time together and stuff. And so like, I always think of like the way Homer really, really cares for Maggie and isn't always able to show it. It's so sweet. And then just, yeah, the do it for her um, scene, like it's, it's one of the nicest reveals on the show. Oh, totally. And I think you're 100% right about that being a Homer episode because it's just, it really highlights that they actually do have a special connection. The show can't really explore mm-hmm. much, but you know, Homer's always screaming at Bart and he doesn't get Lisa, but like with mm-hmm. Maggie, there's just like, it's just love. He just cares about her. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a show about, or it's an episode about fatherhood, which is nice. Uh, your favorite Marge episode Okay, uh, I wish you had made it to the title for this one, but Homer Alone. Uh, ah. Because I loved seeing Marge just get away from everything, just to sort of be there and like, I hate this. I hate being a housewife. I just need a break. And yeah. her experience in Rancho Relaxo was so great. And it made me like, just respect Marge. Because even the story where she, like the the Homer Alone aspect of the story it was also about Marge and how important mm-hmm. she was in the home and how she really held it all together. Yeah. And it made me like respect her so much more as a character. I love Julie Kavner's reading of, and a bottle of tequila. Um, <laughs> I think Homer alone, or at least the first act of it, is a much better version of something they tried a couple seasons before, which was uh, Life on the Fast Lane and uh, Marge kind of having her almost affair with Jacques. I think that was one that kind of tried to show Marge's like suburban housewife disappointment. Um, And it ended up, I don't know, just becoming, I I don't think they'd had Marge figured out as a character well enough for it to really work. So I like Homer alone. My, um, my favorite Marge episode is the aforementioned scenes from the class struggle in Springfield. Um, Your favorite Bart episode. Who another tough one. Um, I probably, I had to say a new kid on the block. Um, I liked oh. the introduction of uh, Laura. It's unfortunate she couldn't be in more episodes. And maybe I yeah, just really... Yeah, just change the voice actor, you know? Like, I guess. I get that you can't get Sarah Gilbert all the time, but like, I don't know. I they got they another voice Gilbert actress for... all the time now, but... Well, <laughs> that's true. Um, but like, I, I, yeah, I liked her there. And I, I really identified with Bart in that episode. It's like, I know what it's like to be... Uh, a young boy first experiencing uh, a crush on a, on a girl and you're like, and just being there, like <laughs> the scene with him having to watch her and Jimbo, it's like, oh my God, I felt so bad for him. And I'm like, oh, that must be like a knife through your heart. And mm-hmm. he's like such a loser too. Yeah. I Now my shirt's chafing me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I should have said that when my shirt was giving me issues. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Maybe next time. Okay. um, My favorite Bart episode is a, um, it's actually a season two episode. And it is, fun fact, the highest rated episode of The Simpsons. No episode of The Simpsons has gotten a higher viewing audience than this ever since. And that is Bart Gets an F. I think, um, I mean, they 
there were a few great episodes that really showed um, Bart's loneliness um, and Bart's sadness and Bart's capabilities for emotions. Like, I don't think you have to have him be that way all the time. I think sometimes he is just fine as a little stinker. Um, the only other episode I can think of that really gets to it is... Um, I know it was a B-plot, so I can't remember which episode it was, but when he and Milhouse have to stop being friends and how lonely he is. Um, but I really think Nancy Cartwright sells it so much and Bart gets an F with like the weeping and him saying like, I get it, I'm dumb, dumb as a post. And like no one sees Bart's kind of cries for help and how like he doesn't, he doesn't want to be dumb. And I thought like it's such a kind of almost very special episode, but it's really well done. Yeah, I, I like that aspect of it too. And I think it's something you miss with characters that aren't always the brightest on TV shows. Like mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily, some people are like not happy with that. And it's not that Bart isn't smart. It's just like the world isn't for him in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like you he know, can be so clever when he's like making a prank, but when it's like mm -hmm. school, it's like, uh it kind of reminds me of our first episode when we were talking about Malcolm Middle and you were saying like Reese is one of your favorite characters because of the way like he is not traditionally smart, but like he does have things that he's very, very talented in, but just the world, yeah, the world isn't built for people like him. Yeah. And he's like, his whole cooking ability doesn't get, uh, he doesn't have an outlet for that. And like Bart's yeah. kind of the same way. Like he can sometimes be super clever. Like remember mm -hmm. uh, that episode where they put him on Ritalin and he had all these elaborate, uh, pranks and things he was doing and it's like when it comes to mischief he is just he is an expert <laughs> he's a little bastard all right your favorite episode about someone who isn't a simpson oh, that was so hard uh i i eventually went with flaming mose uh, ah just it's such a good episode uh, it, and it really i mean i feel like we already spoke about it a bit but it's uh it gave mo just the right level of depth and complexity like yeah. he went from being a sort of cliche bartender to something more than that. And uh, mm -hmm. it was another episode where they had a bunch of guest stars, but back when they knew how to use them and they didn't overshadow <laughs> the plot and instead just created this perfect uh, version of Mo or Mo's mm -hmm. tavern when it was like at the height of its success that yeah. felt very real. I, um, so mine is very different from yours. It's the 100th episode of the series, and it's Sweet Seymour Skinner's Badass Song. Um, that's my favorite version of Skinner. I guess maybe that's a bit of a cheat, and it's kind of a Bart episode, but I just think that was the first episode that really, like, they got Skinner and, like, his relationship with his mother, his relationship with the army. Um, I all the, all the bits in it really hit, and also um, I think the voice performance is uh, is fantastic. So Sweet Seymour Skinner's badass song is that for me. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, that was a really great episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, and your favorite guest star? I went back and forth on these. Um, am I allowed to have two? Sure. Uh, now I'll 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 go by the spirit of the the game, and I'll go with one. So this one is is kind of convoluted, and just because I kind of know the background story is why I, I like it so much. But uh, the appearance of Bret Hart in, uh, God, <laughs> the episode with uh, the Burns Old Man yeah. and the Lisa. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so when Burns has to sell his mansion, he sells it to Bret Hart. As a kid, I used to love watching wrestling, and Bret Hart was my absolute favorite. So him being on The Simpsons, which was my favorite show, was like, I couldn't believe how great it was. 
Uh, but he was like, he was so weird. Like he wasn't acting like himself. He was drawn like himself, but <laughs> it's like, this isn't Bret Hart. And then yeah. I found out later that uh, according to him, when he was on there, they just had him play a wrestler because they didn't know anything mm. about wrestling. They're like, just, they got a wrestler to play a wrestler. And then he- Someone uh, said he didn't even sound like himself, right? Because he sounds a lot more Canadian than he did in that episode, doesn't he? Yeah. And he's like, he's much more mellow and laid back. He's not like, oh, I'm, I'm why would I want this place? It has old man stink. And uh, <laughs> like, that's not really like how he talks at all. Um, but when he was there to record the episode and he left, he was like mobbed by fans and they realized, oh, whoa, this is actually a very popular guy. So they reanimated his part to look like him. But the reading of the line was for a completely different character. <laughs> so I just <laughs> thought that hilarious. was I know it was so weird, and uh, I always think of that whenever I see that episode. Yeah. Okay, so I I said it was okay to have two because I have two, and I'll also say that I am not counting Kelsey Grammer, Phil Hartman because they're two recurring, and even I considered Albert Brooks as Hank Scorpio, but Albert Brooks like shows up every few seasons, and he had a prominent voice role in the movie, which was basically um who's basically the same character as hank scorpio so my two are um dustin hoffman as mr bergstrom um that again you know i love uh episodes in which uh lisa's lack of place within the family is very evident and um dustin hoffman was the perfect cast uh perfect voice cast for that role and mandy patinkin as hugh 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 parkfield oh of course and Yes, um, that uh, which like I, I as a kid, I didn't know who that was. And so I was very shocked at, that he wasn't a British guy, that he's just like <laughs> this nice old Jewish grampy. Um, but um, yeah, I think he that was also a voice to me that because like you have a few of the utility voice actors who do decent British accents like that didn't have to be a guest star and it didn't sound anything like Mandy Patinkin so I preferred like to me maybe that's my favorite because that's what they used to do with celebrity voice actors was they didn't need they didn't need to um like do an awkward segue of like oh, Mandy Patinkin like it or even um like in the Run Lola Run episode where they have Frankie Muniz play a genius kid who is very obviously like it's just an excuse to bring in Frankie Muniz and make like genius kid jokes. Um, so, watch the, yeah, I watched the episode of Malcolm in the Middle that's about to follow this episode of The Simpsons, right? Yeah, very much so. So, yeah. And now this is this one I've already mentioned on this trio of episodes, your favorite musical number in the show. Hmm. Well, some men hunt for sport, others <laughs> hunt for food. The only thing I'm hunting for is an, is an outfit, outfit that, looks that looks good. good. <laughs> so, yeah, um, fun fact, my at my sister's wedding, the best man and groom's mother burst into the room after the first dance dressed like homer and marge no one knew they were doing this and started dancing to see my best oh wow <laughs> yeah um it's up there for me but my favorite is spring in springfield uh, it's i i think it's also it's an original song it's not like a um it's not a parody of anything and i also think the animation of it as a musical number is really good like like you could stage this this could be something in a musical i think it's cute 
that was actually my number two option. And it was the first Yay. thing that popped to my head. I'm like, is that my favorite though? It's like, no, no. I know all the lyrics <laughs> to see my vest. That's got to be number one. Um, I think if you, uh, Ted, uh, Ted in the first episode said the Stonecutter song, which anytime I watch that episode, my husband will start whistling that song for days. So, um, <laughs> okay. So your favorite showrunner. See, it's, it's a toss up between, uh, the team of Algeen and Mike Reese mm -hmm. and, uh, and right after them, it was, uh, Ooh, don't remember his first name, but Merkin. David Merkin. There you go. Yeah. Um, I'm a Bill and Josh gal. Um, and I just think Bill and Josh, um, well, I mean, they kind of ran the show like they thought it was gonna get canceled after, which um, maybe in retrospect turned out to be a bad thing. But I thought they bended reality and played with reality in ways that, um, or like the reality of the show, I should say, um, in ways that pushed the envelope, but actually um, was pulled off really well. Like, for example, Brother from Another Series of like, let's make Sideshow Bob bad now or good now um, was done in a really, really good way and also managed to have like a gimmicky guest star that was well pulled off. Something that's incredibly rare in later seasons. <laughs> this is um, last question. And it's a bit of a weird one. If you could see one season with the writer's room showrun by a Simpsons writer who was never a showrunner, who would it be? See, that's really tough. Um, I, I sort of went with a cheesy option. Uh, well, I don't know if it's cheesy. Easy, uh, let's say. <laughs> uh, I thought Conan O'Brien would be perfect. I thought he was a great writer, so I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> uh, also, he's shown he can run a show. <laughs> he's been yeah. doing it for the last 20 years. Um, but yes. what really sealed it for me is when um, he was interviewed for something related to the show. I don't remember what. Uh, on how he would end The Simpsons. And his version of it was just like, it was so dark. It was just, he was like, it would be completely humorless. Marge would just walk into the room and look at Homer and be like, I have been through so much. You have made my life a complete misery and living hell. I am taking the kids. We're leaving and you will never see us again. And that's how he'd end the series. And I'm just like, <laughs> that is so dark, but still somehow yeah. hilarious and weird. Like, give this guy the show and let's see what he can do with it. <laughs> So mine is probably a bit of a cheat and like my, my non-serious answer is John, John Schwartzwelder because it would just be like wacky uh, shoot him up cowboy uh, plots and Marge and Lisa never speak. But um, it, the one writer that I would have actually liked to see run the room and probably would have if it had not been for a certain other animated show that came along would be Greg Daniels. And Greg Daniels, I think say this is a bit of a cop-out because the reason I prefer Greg Daniels is because we know what a Greg Daniels show run show looks like and it's really good like King of the Hill was an amazing show until Greg Daniels left and then it was a pretty good show um The Office was a very good show until Greg Daniels left um he is so good at um grounded in reality observational humor um that if anything the only complaint i would have about like a greg daniels showrun season with that it might not be wacky enough and that's when you have like the schwartzwelders of the world um to kind of pull it back down or not pull it back down, blow it back up um but i think also greg daniels was amazing at writing millhouse and um 
because I feel like later Milhouse, I do not like. He's like a creepy, nice guy. I loved when Milhouse was like a little weirdo troll. Um, and apparently Greg Daniels based that version of Milhouse on himself as a kid. So, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I thought Greg Daniels wrote the kids extremely well. That's something a lot of uh, a lot of writers seem to miss as well. They write mm-hmm. kids like TV show characters and not like actual kids. And that was kind of the nice thing about The Simpsons. They did sort of feel like kids. And whenever they weren't like kids, it was very deliberate and honest. And it would be like, oh, wow, they are. It's like, she certainly tamed that horse. Yes, but what man can tame her? Oh, yeah. The Ralph randomly having, uh, whose voice is that even? I don't know. Nelson's voice. Kind of. Um, Super distracting. Okay, so we've reached the point. Jose, when do you feel like The Simpsons peaked? Um. Didn't I already say that? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, well, you said when it could have ended, but I I know some people define peaks differently, you know? Hmm. I I honestly, God, it's such a struggle. I want to say it was a Treehouse of Horror episode, I'm I'm pretty sure. I always feel like those Mm -hmm. set the tone for the season. They're usually the season premiere. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was the one, it was either seven or eight. God, I, it's like, which story was it now? That's like in my head so clearly. Well, I know that uh, Jason in the last episode, his pick was Treehouse of Horror 5, which, you know, I'm a big fan of because it had the Shining parody and the teachers eating the students and uh, the Homer time traveling one. Hold up. My notes are not good, so I'm just going to look this up quickly. Okie dokie. Fill time. Talk to the audience because this is live, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a terrible strain on the animator's wrist. Ooh, never been animated before. <laughs> Why is it hard to... F- oh, there, there's... A- I thought Wikipedia would be better, but... Uh... <laughs> Just remembering some of these now. <laughs> so he said five, right? I'd probably yes. say... I don't want to say six now that I'm looking at it. Mm-hmm. you know what i will say six actually because i felt like so, it was the which simpsons were the ones in six so you had attack of the 50 foot eyesores nightmare <gasps> on evergreen terrace and homer three or homer cubed that is a great one it is uh i think making a cg homer was like I, that was sort of a chilling vision of things to come but it was still mm-hmm. good and it was still fun and it felt like The Simpsons going 3D is in some ways predicting where animation would go, how the sort of Mm -hmm. hand-drawn stuff would, for a time at least, fall out of flavor for more 3D stuff. Mm -hmm. And in in a way, it felt like the show was predicting the future there. And it was, Mm -hmm. it encapsulated so much that was so great about The Simpsons. And it could have been like The Simpsons going like, all right, we're, we're gearing up towards the end. We see the future in the horizon and we're ready to acknowledge and embrace that. Not to mention erotic cakes. Um, <laughs> Ooh, erotic so cakes. When, throughout this trio of episodes, I have maintained that I think the peak of The Simpsons came in season seven and that it was Bart on the road, but that I am fine with season eight and even season nine. Because like, here's the thing. If you lose season nine, you lose the city of New York versus Homer Simpson, which might actually be one of the greatest episodes of The Simpsons of all time. Um, that was a really good one. God, yeah, and like you, that sh- that's 
that episode comes and you think like, oh, great, Mike Scully, you're going to hit it out of the park. And he never really had anything that was as good as that one. Um, so I maintain that I thought Bard on the Road was kind of the peak of season seven, but then ended after this season seven finale, which is um, my my actual favorite episode, Summer of Four Foot Two. Um, but I actually would say you can slash should end it after season eight, provided you shuffle the secret war of Lisa Simpson somewhere like earlier in the season, because I just don't think it's a good finale. You know, have it either be the previous episode, uh, Simpsons spinoff showcase or Homer's enemy. Like Homer's enemy to me is a great like canonical end of the show and then make the Simpsons spinoff showcase kind of like the post finale finale. Um, from that season, I actually think the peak in quality in really good jokes in character stuff is grade school confidential. So I would say like season eight is your peak quality, peaking just about three quarters of the way through at grade school confidential. Yeah, I, I, I agree with most of that. I'd say you hit it on uh, a lot of those, particularly uh, uh, the spinoff spectacular. I feel like that could have been uh, a special, like a just the post series like we did this for fun kind of thing yeah um one of the things though that like has come up in both the episodes so far and i still really feel this like you know we mentioned that the simpsons roasted fox a lot and um i think i mean they've been really defanged with disney they like disney doesn't let shows make disney jokes um and I I don't like the Maggie shorts that they've been doing on Disney Plus at all. Um, the Force Awakens from its nap was one of the worst things I've ever seen. And knowing that like that's just how the Simpsons universe is now, like, oh, it's in the same universe as Star Wars, and you might see more Simpsons Star Wars crossovers. Like, no, I, I don't want that, actually. Um, and I love Star Wars. Um, what I really picture happening, because the other thing is like these voice actors are not young anymore. They're mostly, many of them are in their 50s through 70s. Um, and you get the feeling like Disney more so than Fox is very likely to just replace them when they die. As opposed to like, I feel like if it were still with Fox, and I'm not even saying Fox is a good corporation, but like if Dan Castellaneta died, that's it. That's the show. We, you don't have the show without Dan Castellaneta or Julie Kavner. Um, I don't think that's as likely now that Disney owns it because Disney is notorious. Like when, when Rusey Taylor died, also a Simpsons voice actor, like the new Minnie Mouse was waiting in the wings. So I I don't think, I, I think to, I think to quote the song, they'll never stop the Simpsons. Yeah, I think you're completely right. And you can see that reflected in a lot of uh, of other properties that Disney owns. Like when you look at uh, the Marvel movies and how they're big, a lot of the times it's like like very rarely are the actors the people anyone talks about it's like you'll i mean maybe robert downey jr but like how many people will talk about like oh anthony mackie he's so great it's like mm -hmm. you know people will say the falcon because the it's, characters yeah. now are bigger than the actors and i think that's exactly how disney wants it to be because you can always replace an actor but they own the characters and just like i i mean i really like the mandalorian but I'm like, oh, now we need a series for every character in Star Wars. And Star Wars is this huge universe of content. Uh, and 
I think if anything, that's what is likely to happen with the Simpsons. Like after we, you know, air so many seasons, it might just be that like there's a spinoff and like, again, because digital is digital lends itself to shorter form much better, even if you're on a streaming service. So we might have like 15 minute episodes of the Mo show or like the Skinner show or whatever. Like, I mean, 22 shorts films about Springfield could very well be a precursor, um, except I doubt that they'd be making Pulp Fiction jokes. But um, it was uh, if Disney like Disney buys Pulp Fiction. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of where I can see it going now. Um, and it is a very bleak thought. But uh, so. Yeah, Jose, if you had to recommend to like any stranger who's somehow never seen The Simpsons and never say never because friend of the show Kelsey Goldman had not seen more than two episodes of The Simpsons before I challenged her to. Um, so if what season or period of time would you recommend they tune into? It might depend on how old the person is. If it's someone mm -hmm. about my age, I might try and start them about where I started watching the show. Um, somewhere around season two or three. Um, the nice thing about The Simpsons is you can miss the first season and you're fine. You don't need to know the uh, the details of all those episodes. Um, like the only episode where I would say you would need... I might, might start them off now that I think about it with um, something in season two leading a few episodes before Homer meets his long-lost brother, Herb. Because like mm -hmm. that's one of the few episodes that has a follow-up. That's I mean, both parts are so good. And, yeah, uh, I want what the dog's eating. <laughs> yeah, the only reason I wouldn't start with that episode because it's like it's a bit much to throw someone into a new series and then introduce a long lost brother. Uh, yeah, but like introduce the Simpsons and then introduce then that episode and then just sort of build from there because uh, I feel mm -hmm. like that's when the show really started to hit its stride part of the way through season two and just yeah, then let them know they have like seven episodes or seven seasons of just great stuff ahead of them. All right, so Jose, uh, you know, you've been working very hard at your YouTube channel and uh, you have a Patreon. So can you tell us a little bit about where our readers can find you and support you and also anything cool that you've got coming up? Sure. Uh, I am in the midst of working on a video that may kill me. Uh, so it'll either be up or uh, you'll have a very special episode of Peak Show next. Uh, <laughs> I assume you're going to do a special on me at some point. Anyway, uh, so so my next big sitcom retrospective is on The Cosby Show, uh, which obviously is very much in the news uh, recently. And yes. uh, it's going to be... Sorry, for context, uh, for context, everyone, we're recording this on July 1st. So yesterday was the day that uh, Bill Cosby was released from prison after his conviction was overturned. Yeah, so that happened. Uh, my video was going to have a happy ending, and now it, it won't. Uh, it's sort of a look back uh, at the Cosby show throughout the years, but also um, sort of the backs, some of the, the stories behind the scenes, how it got made and its lasting impact. And one of the interesting things about the Cosby show connecting it to The Simpsons is that um, when The Simpsons moved to Thursday night, it was put on in direct competition with The Cosby Show. And uh, Brie, you mentioned a little earlier, the highest rated episode. That episode was going up against The Cosby Show. So... Oh. The fact that that episode was like the highest rated one is quite an achievement. And uh, everyone was under the impression, you know, the Cosby show, number one show in America for five years in a row, uh, maybe it'll be dethroned by the Simpsons. Um, and <laughs> it wasn't quite dethroned. Uh, the Simpsons, I think, finished figure somewhere like low 20s, high teens in the top 30. Well, but the Cosby show had dropped from first to fifth, which is kind of 
telling that the Simpsons kind of pulled it down and then that was season seven of the Cosby show and season eight, it had slid all the way down to like 18th. And then that was it. That was the last yeah. season. Um, so that in many ways, they kind of referred back to each other. There was that one moment from the Simpsons that was cut out of the Cosby show where Homer makes that observation, you know, little Theo, you grew up right before our eyes. And uh, they talk about why the show ended. It's like, cause Mr. Cosby couldn't keep the effort up and, they make a joke about how, you know, if they had a show, they'd run it into the ground. And uh, <laughs> here we are about 20 oh, uh, yes. something seasons later. <laughs> yes. It is in the ground. Awesome. Well, I, I can't wait for your video. And um, definitely you've been putting so much work into that channel and it's really paying off. So can you tell our um, our uh, readers, readers, listeners, <laughs> where to uh, where to find your videos? Sure. You just go to... Uh, website known as YouTube. Type in my name, J-O-S-E, and you will see my channel pop up. It'll be one of the top ones. Uh, if you're looking for a title, uh, the next video, assuming it's out by the time this comes out, is going to be called How Do We Talk About the Cosby Show? Great. Uh, really looking forward to it. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Jose. Love talking Simpsons, and I love talking Simpsons with you. So as for me, I've been your host, Brie Rohde. You can find me on Twitter at Breganism, which is veganism with a B-R-E-E. Our theme music is by Jack Dump, and you can find them on bandcamp.com slash jackdump. Our show logo and all our show art is made by my husband, Jared Daly. So new episodes come out every two weeks and you do not want to miss them. You can check out our back catalog, which contains, of course, now a full month of Simpsons, King of the Hill, Malcolm in the Middle, uh, all the great Fox Sunday night shows. And we got movie series like Saw and the Mighty Ducks is coming up in two weeks. Whole episode on 2000s Canadian Indie. So thank you so much, everyone. Take it easy and keep reaching for that rainbow. Toad has a red blank. Okay, skip that one. Mr. Blank needs a blank in order to blank his blank.